it's great to be here. Um, I, uh, as Alan said, Sharon and I have come on to the leadership team in the last wee while. Uh, I only mention that because, as you know, Sharon is uh, much younger than me, um, three months. But Matt Adams, Matt Adamson here, Matt Adamson goes to our life group and told me recently I was punching above my weight. <laughs> it's, I was working out, it's about five years since I've spoken in church. Can you imagine the last time it went really well? Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, but um, I, I do, uh, I'm looking, looking forward to today. Um, and uh, yeah, don't, don't panic too much. Uh, I think I'll be all right. Uh, I want to do a quick recap of, of Chris's excellent introduction to the Holy Spirit last week. Um, um, uh, Chris led us through those kind of foundational things we understand about the Holy Spirit. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit is a person, a distinct entity, be a part of the Godhead. Uh, in the same way we enjoy a relationship with God the Father and Jesus, we enjoy a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit always has been, continues to be active in the world from the beginning, brooding over the waters, and still is active, of course. Uh, Holy Spirit is a mystery, and John 3 talks about the Holy Spirit as a wind invisible, to see but evident by what was changed as he or she, if we want to even imagine, the Holy Spirit moves through the world. As an aside, we also heard that uh, Chris tells us that Debbie's a mystery and he doesn't understand her yet after 25 years. <clears throat> Uh, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, that good old evangelical word, makes us holy. We can know the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And of course, the New Testament talks about the gifts of the Spirit. So there's no disagreement there. We, we would read all of that and we'd know that. I suppose the big question is, um, how is the Holy Spirit active now as in us as individuals, in the church and in the world? And how do we experience the Holy Spirit in these days? So the text I want to look at today might surprise you because Luke 15 um, and so that's that's the parable of the uh, the lost son sometimes known obviously as the prodigal son um, and the reason why I want to talk about that is because when the church reopened here last September um, uh, just outside here I really felt God spoke to me uh, about this parable and what it really meant and it was after a talk that Bruna had given and she'd been talking about the whole idea God gives us authority. Um, and this Felix has been brooding in me ever since to talk about this. And I've spoken a bit about it in my life group, but I really feel that it's been kind of God's given me a bit more to share with you today. So I'm going to make a big statement. Um, just as I was thinking about this and praying about it, and, I, and it's this. I hope this works. Uh, the, I think, I believe, the primary function of our relationship with the Holy Spirit is just to make us into authentic sons and daughters of the Father who know his heart and mind and carry out his good and perfect world, word, will in this world. And more, that our blessing to be a blessed, our, our blessed to be a blessing is only fully realized in us coming into our identity and authority as mature children. So, what does this parable teach us about this? So it starts like this. Now the tax collectors, hope I can, here we are, it's all right. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
So he told three parables. We, we know that, obviously, is the parable, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. But the context is important. So there, there are kind of th three sets of protagonists in this conversation. There's the teachers. Those who knew the law uh, couldn't understand how Jesus could defile himself with those who they regard as unclean and impure. Then we have the tax collectors and sinners. They were the outcasts, the ones who had corrupted themselves often by not keeping what the teachers regard as the law, but more often by siding with the enemy, who were the Romans then, of course. We were told that they gathered around Jesus. They wanted to hear what Jesus said to them. And the third person uh, was, of course, Jesus, and I expect some of his disciples as well. And the live issue for the teachers was this. Uh, what constitutes a good follower of the one true God? And by default then, who and how could one live? How could one live a life to gain eternal life? Earlier in Luke 10, we read about uh, an expert of the law who came to test Jesus and asked, what must I do to get eternal life? And how do you read this, Jesus asked. And he said, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself and jesus commended him saying you have answered correctly but here the teachers are are asking how does a good israelite a child of god behave how does keeping these commandments affect who we are and what we do they couldn't reconcile jesus doing this doing welcoming sinners and how they would understand a dedicated consecrated holy believer of the one true god would act so he told them this parable. So it's, uh, I'll pop it up here, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this debt. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, uh, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, here are um, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And most of you have been around as long as I have. We've probably heard lots of sermons about this particular uh, parable. And in many senses, it kind of could be regarded as almost a gospel in a nutshell. And I expect that this is probably what you would have heard before. The younger man represents all mankind. We have all turned away from God, each to his own way, and are deserving of his wrath. But if we repent, which 
means turning around, saying sorry, and turn to God. We find that God shows us mercy, extends his grace, and welcomes us back. And the next part of the sermon uh, is that this cost God his son, Jesus, and that we are undeserving of his mercy. And of course, all of this is absolutely true. For many years, that's basically how I would have read that parable. I didn't quite know what to do with the older brother. I heard, kind of probably heard lots of theories what to do with that, but I've long since forgotten what he told me about that. Um, and I think this, this is definitely one legitimate way to read this parable. But some years later, I, I began to understand this parable, this story in the Jewish tradition, and the full impact of really what it meant exploded. Uh, I came to experience the nuances within the story uh, that would have resonated with the original hearers. They would have understood the deep insult of a son wanting his inheritance early. This was tantamount to a son wishing his father was dead. They would have recoiled in horror at how the son had reduced himself to be little better than a slave, to do the unthinkable, to spend his day caring for pigs. They would have understood the son's expectation of having insulted the father and failed to live up to the commandments, to be treated at best as a hired hand. But they would have been really shocked to imagine the picture of a dignified, honourable father lifting his clothing and running to the sun. Such a thing was unthinkable, outrageous, riotous. And they would have resonated with the older brother who was indignant at the reckless lavishness of the party thrown for his dishonourable son. In 2009, I think it's 2009, Tim Keller wrote a book, Prodigal God, uh, and we looked at this actually in our life group early in the year, revealing this rich kind of subtext to this story. His book highlighted the father, it was the father who was prodigal, prodigal meaning extravagant and reckless, and the father's prodigal with his love for the son. I, I absolutely love that picture. It spoke to me that beyond my expectations, the father uh, loved me and wanted me. He didn't begrudgingly take me back. He ran out to meet me. I could do nothing to make God love me more and nothing to make him love me less. And I've written down here, wow. Um, but I want, I want to layer, uh, add another layer to this story. What I've come to realize and what I felt I, I, I was revealed to me there at that time in September is that this story is about the father's heart for his sons and daughters. This story is about identity and authority. We've been exploring this last few months how we are blessed to be a blessing that God calls us to steward what we've been given on behalf of the Father. Uh, we've heard that right from the beginning, uh, we've traded this true blessing for false blessing and given up our true identity. So I want to tell this story in a different way. Um, so I think this story sounds like a son Sounds like asking for their inheritance prematurely. Sounds like Adam and Eve taking the fruit of the tree of good and evil before they were ready. This story sounds like a good father who lets his children go out into the world. He gives free will and has to watch as his world is destroyed by riotous living. It sounds like his beloved children becoming no better than the animals, becoming a slave to another master another power. It sounds like a, a memory or a seed or a word that starts to come alive in his lost son. Uh, and that memory is of a father who is in fact good. The father cares for everyone, even slaves. 
And this son believes he can become a hired hand, can earn enough to live and not starve. But the shock in all of this is the father does not want his child back as a slave or a hired hand. He wants a lost son restored. And this is where I want to land this today, as Bruno would say. This is where I want to land it today. The father runs out to meet his son and bring him home to restore him to full sonship. And this is what struck me last week for the first time. I believe that picture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Father is sent out to bring us home. So read, just read these words. Johnny, can you bring it up there for me? The John ones. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And John 15, verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You see, our heavenly Father is not interested in slaves or hired hands. He wants sons and daughters who love him. But more than this, the spirit brings us the mantle and authority while we are making our way back towards the Father. The Father closes son with a cloak, his, his identity, and gives him his ring, his authority. And this is what the teachers had completely missed. Jesus is the son who loves his father with all his heart and soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus is also the son who went out to bring lost children to God home, who loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus is a true son who understands the heart of the father in contrast to the teachers of the law. They didn't understand the heart of God. Um, they didn't understand that God's desire that none of his sons and daughters should perish. So what does this say about the oldest son in the this, in this story? I've got the next. Oh. Uh, the elder brother, we read, the elder brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf from my son, the father says. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What did the father desire of the oldest son? What does, what does the father desire of his sons and daughters? I think the subtext is that the greatest desire is that the older brother would have gone and sought the younger son and brought him home. So now we see Jesus is the good son. This Jesus is the character in the middle of all of this. Jesus is the good son who loves his father. The older brother lived with the father and kept his orders, but he lived with the mind and heart of a slave, not a son. He didn't understand the heart and mind of the father. Jesus shows us how to live as good sons and daughters. The spirit of the father comes to give us the mantle and the ring, the power and authority of the father. He gives us shoes so we can keep in step with the spirit. So John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer at another time. Very truly, I tell you, 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So is what I feel God has been brooding in me for today. Holy Spirit, the spirit of the father and the son comes out to meet us, restoring us to sonship and daughterhood and to bring us home into the fullness of the father. And everything we'll learn over these next few weeks is how Holy Spirit brings us into the identity, power, and authority of the Father. So in John 8, verse 34, um, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if a son, with a capital S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Recently, uh, I, I realized that I've been a Christian for 40 years. I was talking to Debbie one evening, and just suddenly realized it was February time. Uh, I became a Christian in, a, in my first year at Queen's. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, for most of my of those 40 years, I went to church and read my Bible at times. Married a fine Christian girl. Uh, was, a, was a good person, didn't steal from anyone. Just reassuring, didn't have any affairs. Uh, I brought my children to church. Everything that you would expect. But I look back now and realize that for most of that time, I probably lived a bit like a hired hand. I thought I knew what it was like to live as an authentic child of God. But it's only in this last, I can't even think how long, maybe 10 years, and especially this last five years, that I've come to understand that my loving Heavenly Father wants me to be a child, to become mature, and to be filled with the fullness of him. And this has really been a journey that Sharon and I have been on together for this last number of years. Fundamentally, when I look back uh, and ask myself, why, why did it take me so long? I, I realized I was afraid. I was afraid of what God would ask of me, uh, of what he would do to me, what he would ask me to give up. I was afraid that he would ask me to give up what I loved. Um, I basically struggled to, really trust the goodness of God until I really opened myself up to the Holy Spirit and that happened sort of several times specifically but this last number of years has been a really slow incremental opening up um, and, and I've really begun to step into that whole idea of, of sonship being a child of God and so Romans 8 really really speaks to me I mean I, really, I love that chapter it's probably my favourite chapter in the whole bible but but this particularly um verse 14 for those who are led by the spirit of god so god father sends the spirit out um for those who are led by the spirit of god are the children of god the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father and I, that's what's been happening to me, um, and I believe can happen to anybody. Um, so Alan, we were talking just about today, and Alan sort of said, you know, good Keith, if you shared a little bit of this, and I was going to sort of tell, speak a bit more about this, but uh, I suppose I want to tell you about how God has broken down the walls around my heart. I prayed a number of years ago that he would break down those walls. 
and, and replaced what I recognize as a kind of envy and ambition with a real deep joy and peace that I've never experienced. I want to tell you about how it feels when I worship at times, when I lift my hands and feel the weight of the presence of the Spirit and feel I'm transported to the very throne room of God and see a smile. I, I want to tell you about how God speaks to me in unexpected ways. How he speaks to me through poetry uh, and seems to speak to others too. And this is a very unexpected gift that, that somehow God has given me. I want to tell you about how when I was preparing this, I was um, brought to tears when I recognized what God has done in my life over the last number of years. And I know many of you have experienced this too. I don't expect that this is different. Um, but perhaps you're there and you're listening and it all sounds a bit weird. But I want you to know um, that I feel that I want you to experience all that God has for you through Holy Spirit. So what I feel Holy Spirit has given me to say is this, don't be afraid. In these next number of weeks as you hear about Holy Spirit works, don't be afraid. He wants you to know what it is to become a fully-fledged son and daughter, to know the mind of the Father, to carry his heart and walk with his authority. So in the next number of weeks, you're going to hear about the strange, untamable, but supremely gentle otherworldly spirit who brings supernatural gifts and amazing fruit. And you may well say to yourself when you hear this that I couldn't be like that or I couldn't do that. But my prayer is that you'll open yourself up so that you'll come to know your true self. I mean, I look back over my 40 years and wish I'd known this 40 years ago. Um, and when I was thinking about it, I know everyone's here at this church is especially fond of a good quote. So I thought I'd go and get a really lofty quote. And the best I could come up with, Johnny, can you bring it up there? The best I could come up with was one, was this out of a song that I've been listening to for the last year or so, but this week has really resonated with me. And it's from a United Pursuit. It's a song called Met by Love. And it says this, we can run straight into your arms unafraid. Because every time we meet you, we're met by love. And we can lift our hands to heaven full of praise. Because every time we worship, we see your face. I almost want to sing. But I'll not I'll spare you that. And finally, I, I don't think I could leave here without a poem. Um, what I found uh, in poetry is that when I write it, and read it back, I realize it's often for me. It often speaks about what's going on in my life. But then sometimes I find that when I give it to others, they find it speaks to them too. This is a poem that I, I wrote last year, about May last year. It was one evening, I was sitting outside. Uh, it was a kind of reasonably warm May evening. And um, I was really kind of considering, you know, what was this whole idea about what it really means to be saved and, and also how, how we can communicate that uh, with those around us. So um, uh, I'm going to share it with you now. But uh, can you bring up that picture? I, I want to show you this picture because um, uh, a number of months ago I gave David Jess half a dozen of my poems. And this is the, this is the picture that David painted uh, based on this poem. So you can see where he, you can hear what he think where he got it from. In our calm suburban gardens in the cooling evening, 
stilled so we can hear the nattering of neighbors and the tree talk of the birds. It seems to me that salvation is a strange idea here for what needs saved. In the storm, rigid and cold, gulping and gasping above the foaming sea, we grasp for the outstretched hand and mind not chastisement about lack of faith. For faced with imminence threatened, our subdued praying rehearses these moments. But in the flat grey blue of a quiet sea, listless and idling, we seem so unaware that there's more waiting. That in the hereness and nowness, if we strain faith, we can be pulled to the unexpected, like a fire on a barren beach. And know through flickering flame, the one who calls and names and lifts us from our hollowed out selves. For here and now we can feast and breathe a fire within and taste of our bettered selves, the joy of being saved. For here's the truth. Who would care what we share unless we speak of what we know and what we have seen? Um, for here and now we can feast and breathe a fire within the taste of our better selves. Can we pray? Uh, would it be, I'd really love it if we could stand. Um, I'd love to pray kind of over you today. I feel that's what the Spirit uh, wants to do. Um, I'd love it if you could close your eyes. Um, and I mean, if, if, you've never, if, if you've never done this before, it feels very uncomfortable. If you could just put your hands out in front of you. And even for some of you who, who might really feel um, this is awkward, um, would you be brave enough to lift your hands above your head today? And I feel this posture is one of just opening you, you, you up to what the Spirit has for you. So, Father, thank you that you love us and desire that we would know fullness of life in you. Thank you that we can trust you, that you're going to bring us only good in our lives. Jesus, thank you that you're the good son who only does what you see the father doing. Thank you that you came to seek and save us because we were lost. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have come to live with us and to bring us home to the father. Thank you that you bring forth sonship and daughterhood in us so we can carry the Father's heart and mind into the world. Thank you that you bring us to maturity and help us to live into the authority you give us. Thank you for the truth in these words, that we can run straight into your arms unafraid. And that every time we meet you, we are met by love. That we can lift our hands to heaven full of praise. Because every time we worship, we see your face. So we just worship you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.